Philemon, verse number one. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. It's estimated that during the first century in the Roman Empire, right at 50% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And that institution of slavery that really was the foundation for the Roman economy is one of the main characters in the book of Philemon. Because you see in verse number 16 that Onesimus is a runaway slave. And you have to understand something about slavery to begin to understand anything about the book of Philemon. The first thing you need to know is that slavery in the Roman world was nothing at all like slavery in the antebellum United States. For instance, slavery was not race-based, but people from all different kinds of walks of life, all different sorts of backgrounds, all different kinds of skin colors would find themselves in slavery. Second, in the Roman Empire, slavery was very, very rarely for a lifetime. It was often temporary, maybe decades, but it was often temporary. And so that means that it was unlikely that anybody would be born a slave, live a slave, get married as a slave, have children that were slaves, and then die as a slave. Often slaves were um, in slavery because they were in debt or because they were a defeated military foe. There are a lot of different reasons that people could end up in slavery in the ancient World. In fact, there were some times when people would willingly enter into slavery because there were some very, very good jobs that were usually reserved for slaves. Many times doctors were slaves, 
and many times teachers were slaves. And those were considered good professions that people would enter into. And they would enter into slavery. A lot of different reasons that people would be slaves. Slaves in the Roman Empire, as you probably would expect, had very little decision-making power. They had very little rights over themselves. But it seems as if that the individual's experience of slavery depended entirely, almost entirely, on their master. So a slave could have a very cruel master and have a very, very difficult life as a slave, or a slave might have a good master, and they might have a very, very good life. They might have a generous master, and they might have a benevolent master. Everything we know about Philemon suggests that he was a good master. You can see how the Apostle Paul writes about him in these verses. He talks about how he has received joy from him in verse number 7, how his heart has been refreshed, how Paul expects him to show generosity to Onesimus when he returns home. At the very least, Onesimus probably, or Philemon was probably familiar with the teachings of Paul in places like Ephesians chapter 6 or Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 1, especially since the church of Colossae probably met in Philemon's home. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you all also have a master in heaven. And so we assume and believe that Philemon was a good man who owned a slave, who tried to take care of that slave and did right by the slave. But how was he repaid for all of his generosity and goodness? Well, the Bible shows us that Onesimus was a runaway slave. And not only was he a runaway slave, but it also seems that when he ran away from slavery... Verse number 18 would seem to indicate that he robbed Philemon when he left. You see how Paul talks about if he has wronged you or if he owes you. And you could understand that, right, if you're Onesimus. It's not hard to imagine being a slave wanting to run away thinking, you know, maybe I could just steal his waddle on my way out the door. Or maybe I should just rob from her jewelry to help pay my way as I go and find this kind of illegal freedom. But apparently what happens is that Onesimus runs from Philemon and Onesimus steals from Philemon and then he either probably in disguise and, and probably very much on the run ends up in Ephesus or Rome depending on who you ask and there who do you think that, F, uh, that Onesimus runs into? Of all people that he could have run into who do you think Onesimus runs into? He runs into Philemon's friend the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul does what the Apostle Paul always did. He shared the gospel. And he ministered to Onesimus. And he taught him until Onesimus is brought to faith in Christ. And he calls him his child in verse number 10. He became his father in imprisonment. And even though Onesimus used to be useless, now he has become useful. He's been converted He's repented of his sins, he's believed the gospel, and he begins to work alongside of Paul and begin to serve Paul. But eventually, the discipleship conversation probably went something like this. Onesimus, brother, I love you. I'm thankful that God has put you here to help me. But you know you have to go back and apologize, right? You know that you need to seek forgiveness. You know that you've got a broken relationship with a brother in the Lord. And you know you need to go and make it right. And so Onesimus has to eat some crow. Y'all ever eaten any crow? Onesimus has to learn how to apologize. Onesimus has to seek forgiveness. Now some of you tonight have broken relationships 
And candidly, it's your fault. It's because of your attitude. It's because of your words. It's because of your sin. How do you make that right? What can we learn from Onesimus who has to make it right? Well, I think the first lesson we can learn is that relational collapse. That's what's happened here. Relationship has collapsed. Relationships collapse when they become about me instead of about we. Relationships collapse when they become about me instead of about we. Why did Onesimus have a broken relationship with Philemon? Well, because Onesimus had ran away from Philemon, which he had no legal right to do. He stole from Philemon, which was absolutely the wrong thing to do. In other words, Onesimus had started to think in terms of himself. Onesimus had started to think, what can I get from him? How can I use him? Onesimus had started to put himself before the relationship. Hear me tonight. Every single broken human relationship is broken because people start to put themselves above the relationship. Genesis chapter number 3, Adam and Eve seeing in the Garden of Eden. You know what they do, right? They stitch together fig leaves and they try and cover themselves up. The Lord comes and finds Adam. Adam, why are you hiding from me? Well, Lord, because I'm naked and I was ashamed. Well, Adam, who told you you were naked? The woman you gave me gave me fruit, and I ate of it. Do you know what happened in that moment? Adam was self-serving and self-seeking, caring more about himself, caring more about me than he did we. In Genesis chapter number 4, their son, Cain, kills Abel because Abel is jealous, or Cain is jealous of his brother Abel's sacrifice. Cain cared more about me in jealousy than he did about his family. And on and on through Scripture, you find all of these broken relationships, don't you? David did not have an affair with Bathsheba because he loved his neighbor well. He loved himself. And every broken relationship comes down to our loving ourselves more than we love other people. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because God made you to be a creature in relationship. God created them, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created them, male and female. Male and female created he them. And he made them his image bearers together. God puts people together. Now, I know you might be thinking, not me, Brother Jesse. I'm a rock. I am an island. I am a cheesy Simon and Garfunkel song. I don't need anybody else in my life. See, the old people get that joke. Everybody here under 30 is saying, who wants a Simon and Garfunkel? I don't, I don't need anybody else. I don't need relationships with other people. Really? Really? Did you need a relationship between two people to bring you into this world? Did you need people to have a relationship with you to sustain life so that you could survive in this world? Do you have relationships with you with others reaching all the way back into history, including people you'll never meet, and all the way into the future, including people you'll never meet? We are relational beings. Just as God, as a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exists in community. And I submit to you that if all we have behind us is a wake of broken relationships, then there's something about us that is not experiencing the fullness of what it means to be a human being. The Bible says this in James chapter number 4. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't that a great question to ask a Baptist church? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. You, you lust, you want it, but you can't get it, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That verse of Scripture tells you very, very, something very, very important about human nature. Actually, two things that are very important about human nature. One, I've already told you, human beings are relational creatures. But human beings are also aspirational creatures. We want things, right? We desire things. Y'all, it's 636. It's time for supper. I want to eat. But when my relationships get in the way of my aspirations... What happens? What happens? In other words, what's going to happen if you get in the way of me eating supper later? It ain't going to be good for any of us, is it? But what happens when somebody gets in the way of the attention that you desire? What happens when somebody gets in the way of the position you wanted? What happens when somebody gets in the way of whatever it is that you've set your heart on? Then often the aspirational side of us just steamrolls the relational side of us, right? I mean, he wasn't paying me any attention, so I found this guy in the office who would. An aspiration that destroys a relationship. Those people down there at the Booster Club, Terry, they never listen to my ideas. I just don't even think I'm going to go back. Those people, amen, those people at church, they won't even let me teach a Sunday school class. What happens when our relational need for community it's destroyed by our sinful aspirations. What happens when me becomes more important than we? That's where it starts. But it never stops there, does it? Make no mistake, relational collapse may start when I care more about me than I do about we, but relational collapse spreads to beyond just me and you. You do realize that when relationships break between two people, it affects more than just two people. If you're here tonight and your parents were divorced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Might not have had anything to do with you. It didn't have anything to do with you. But it had everything to do with you, didn't it? Shaped the entirety of your life, a broken relationship. And it happens at any number of levels in our lives where relationships break around us and we're affected by that and impacted by that. And it's happening here in this passage of Scripture too. Here's where I'm going to drill down deep, and some of you are going to get really, really uncomfortable. You're going to get so uncomfortable that you're never going to be able to talk about this again. You're going to get so uncomfortable that it's not that you're going to go home and fuss about what I'm about to say. You're just, you're just not going to bring it up because it's going to make you really uncomfortable. And that is that the Bible teaches us that our broken relationships affect our relationship with God. All right? And I'm going to show you that in the book of Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man. He owned a slave, at least one, probably more, which would have been typical. And he was wealthy enough to where he owned a home big enough to where his church met in his house. Okay, you see that in verse number 2, where the apostle Paul greets Philemon and Aphia, which may be Philemon's wife, and Archippus, maybe their son, we don't know, and the church in your house. Now, for the first 300-plus years of Christianity, churches did not have buildings. And so often they would meet in homes that were big enough to accommodate the crowd. And so if Philemon had a home 
big enough to accommodate <clears throat> a couple dozen people. His house is bigger than my house. This is a wealthy, wealthy man, okay? But here's where this is really, really important and really, really vital. And I want you to pay careful attention to this. He has a church meeting in his house. In the ancient Roman world, a slave, like Onesimus, is not part of the family, but they are part of the household. When we talk about our household, we're talking about our family. When they were talking about their household, they would include slaves. So do you think that if there was a broken relationship in the household where the church met, that it affected the house of God that was meeting there? Do you think that a broken relationship in the household affected the family of God? Of course it did, right? How could it not when Onesimus is given sideways glances? Or when somebody calls on Philemon to pray and Onesimus goes... <laughs> or when Onesimus is bad-mouthing Philemon just loud enough for some of the church deacons or elders to hear. He ain't really all that godly. Let me tell you what he did last Thursday night. Do you think that affected this church's health and life? Now, do you think that our relational brokenness outside of this church affects what happens inside of the church? And do you think that the relational brokenness inside of the church affects the worship that we are able to enjoy at church? Let me give you a case study. Husband and wife don't get along. They're both believers. There's nothing even particularly sinful happening. He's not abusive to her. He's not unfaithful to her. But he just can't talk to her. He doesn't get her. I know, guys. I know. He doesn't get her. <laughs> However it is they communicate, it just doesn't work out. He'll ask her things like, Hunter, are you okay? I'm fine. And he thinks that means she's fine. Can that brother pray? Can he pray? No. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If that relationship is broken, his relationship with God is affected. Ephesians chapter number 4. We're commanded not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Growing up, they always talked about grieving the Holy Spirit as if that meant the Lord moved on me to testify, but I didn't say anything. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. That's not what this is. Look, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with our malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul does not change the subject in verse number 30 and go right back to it in verse number 31. What he is saying is that as the people of God, we have been united into one body by the Spirit. And when we badmouth one another, when we talk about one another, when we gossip about one another, when we mistreat one another, when we're rude to one another, when we're curt with one another, when we're short with one another, that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says in Matthew in chapter number 5, he says, if you 
are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, if you've wronged him, Jesus says, leave the church. Don't bother with the facade of worship. Go make it right. Because if your horizontal relationships are wrong, your vertical relationship is not right. So let me go ahead and dispel the myth from Sharon Heights Baptist Church for once and for all, for good and God willing, forever. You cannot mistreat someone, talk poorly about them, talk about them behind their back, be ugly to them, mock them, so forth, so on, and what have you, and then say, well, Lord, I was wrong, please forgive me. Without going to that other person, it is not right. It is not right with God. Period. Jesus says if our relationships here are wrong, our relationship with him is not right, how can you claim to love God whom you have not seen and yet you hate your brother who you do see? John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That you write that tithe check every week. That's how people are going to know. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you go to the women's Bible study every Monday night. That's how, that's how people are going to know that you are really my disciples, that when the nominating committee report comes out, your name is on there in three different ministries. That's how people will know. No, Jesus said people will know that you're really following me because you love, you love the people of God the way that I love you. Relationship collapse, spreads beyond me. If it's my problem with you, it's not just my problem. It's all of our problem. It's all of our problem. But Paul would say this, relational collapse stops when I look to him. It stops when I look to him. Onesimus has to do what some Christians can never do. He has to look somebody in the eye and say, I was wrong, and I need you to forgive me. And you know, that's why it's so easy to pray about it, right? Because you don't have to look the Lord in the eye. But it's hard to look somebody in the eye when you were wrong, isn't it? To say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Do you believe tonight that the ability with which a Christian forgives, proves their understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus who has forgiven them. Do you believe that? I hope you believe it. It's what Scripture teaches. Christian, can we go back to those verses in Ephesians chapter 4? It has verse number 32 on it. Verse number 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Once I understand how God has forgiven me in Christ, I am able to forgive other people the way God has forgiven me. My ability and capacity to forgive another person when they sin against me says something about my depth of understanding and believing and being changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But at the same time, my ability to seek forgiveness, my ability to admit that I'm wrong, my ability to be humble and say, I'm sorry, also speaks to my understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. There are a lot of Christians 
that cannot ever be wrong. Have you noticed this phenomenon? I've pastored people like this. There are people that will never come back to Sharon Heights Baptist Church because they've been embarrassed. Whether it was their sin or somebody else's sin or something that happened, whatever, maybe just a simple mistake or just something, and they were embarrassed. And because they had spent all this time propping up the image of who they wanted to be, once that image was gone, they, they can't be seen anymore. Y'all, that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel will let me be honest. We talked about it this morning. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13. Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. The gospel will help you to be honest because I realize that my relationship with God is not about some facade that I'm propping up. But if I can go to God honestly with my sins and receive grace, then my role in all of this is not to be the hero that everybody else looks up to. My role in all of this is to not find respect and find worth and find affirmation. My, goal in, my role in all this is the sinner that was rescued. My role is the one who had no hope. My role is the lost sheep that Jesus pursued. And so I'm not trying to protect myself and defend myself by covering up my failures and covering up my sins. And we do that, don't we? And we ta I talked about it this morning, but I'm going to talk about it again because we do it. I mean, there's no point in preaching against sins we're not guilty of, right? Why don't I preach about the ones we are guilty of? And one of the ones we're guilty of is hypocritically pretending like we haven't done anything wrong. I know I, I, know I lost my temper. But that's just my mama coming out in me. Well, the Bible tells your mom. The Bible tells you and your mother to be angry and do not sin. But you know what we say? We know what we're doing when we say that? We're justifying our sin. We're excusing our sin. Well, if they hadn't hurt my feelings so bad, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done what I'd done. Justifying our sin. We have a hard time being honest. A really hard time being honest. I was thinking about this and all the different ways that we cover up the truth and conceal the truth. And we do this in every area of life. And we do it at church. I was thinking back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was a chunky little kid. And um, I remember a lot of my pants were like 12 husky. That's a nice way to say. I don't know if they still make husky pants. They'd probably damage everybody's self-esteem and we don't have to have therapy now. But that's how we handle our sin, isn't it? It's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's understandable. Do you think Onesimus was able to justify his sin? Of course he was. The dude's a slave. Don't you think the thought went through his mind? Man, I've been down here working myself to death and I've never received anything for it. Philemon's rich anyway. He's never going to miss whatever I take from him. But when he met Paul, when the gospel transformed his heart, then he was able to be honest and say, yeah, I really did screw up and I really was wrong. But Jesus loves me and God forgives me and I can be transparent, I can be vulnerable, because none of this is about me wearing a mask to impress other people. He's honest and he's humble, right? It takes humility to go back to somebody. That's why we don't like to do it, y'all, my goodness. It takes humility to go back to somebody and say, yeah, I was wrong. It makes you feel small, and we don't like to feel small. But the good news of the gospel reminds, me, reminds us we are small. It reminds us we are imperfect. 
reminds us that we do need and we can't have salvation and forgiveness, but not through the things we accomplish, but through what Jesus has accomplished for us. And the gospel should make us humble enough to apologize, confess your faults one to another. It's what James, the Lord's brother, taught us. Baptists, we don't do that, do we? We don't confess our faults. Brother Jesse, I didn't know I had any faults at all. Exactly. I know, if any man say that he hath not seen, he is a liar. That was the Apostle John. But I would say to you finally tonight that as you look to Jesus, it will also make you hopeful. You know what the book of Philemon never tells us? The book of Philemon never tells us what happened. We'll have to wait till heaven to find out. I believe that Onesimus went back, asked for forgiveness. I believe that Philemon forgave him. And I believe that Philemon not only forgave him, I believe Philemon freed him. I think there's good reason to believe that. In fact, church history teaches that Onesimus became a bishop, a pastor of their church. We don't know if it's the same Onesimus, but there was one floating around that some letters were written to him. It may not have been the same guy, but maybe it was. But however all of it did shake out once Philemon read this letter to him, Onesimus doesn't know any of that, does he? All Onesimus knows is that he was wrong. All Onesimus knows is that he's got to go back. All Onesimus knows is he's got to say, I'm sorry. And Philemon, legally, would have been within his rights, not merely to take the debt out of Philemon's hide, but to have him executed. Onesimus doesn't know if he's facing life or death. Slavery or freedom. He doesn't know. But he says, I'm going to do the right thing and apologize. Can I ask you how he can do that? Wouldn't it be better for Paul just to say, dude, just let sleeping dogs lie. Let me help you disappear. Why does he go back? I think the answer is because Philemon could look back, or Onesimus could look back and recognize what God had done for him. And say, if God can change my heart, even though I was a thief even though I didn't care about anybody but myself. And if God can sovereignly and supernaturally make me run into, of all people, the Apostle Paul at the laundromat or wherever it was, and I meet this man who is not only a friend of my master, but a friend of the Lord Jesus, and he points me to Christ and I'm transformed, then God can do that in the heart of Philemon too. And God can repair this relationship that I've broken. Onesimus had to believe that. Because God had repaired the relationship that he had broken with God. So my question to you then is, do you believe God can repair your broken relationships? Do you believe God can repair relationships where you have been wrong? Do you believe that? Second question is, who is it? Who is it? You need to go to them. And you need to seek their forgiveness. You will not be right here with the Lord until you do. Now I'm going to tell you what will happen if you obey that exhortation. Most likely, this is how it's been in my experience, most likely you will go and say, brother, sister, so-and-so, I was wrong in what I did. I'm sorry, I need you to forgive me. And they'll say, what in the world are you talking about? They don't remember it. They don't know. They've moved on. 
and you are letting the devil rob you of so much joy and so much peace and so much freedom over things that are long since removed. Go make it right. If you're going back to a believer, if that believer is obedient to the Lord, that believer is going to say, I will forgive you. Even if I don't feel it right now, the Lord tells me to forgive you 70 times 7. Unlimited amount of grace. And I want to show you that grace. But whoever it is, you need to go. And if we can get Matthew chapter number 5 back on the screen, I'm going to tell you this. Even though you're not going to like it, it's my duty as your pastor to tell you this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5 that if you're offering your gift before the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, if there's sin that you need to make right, leave your gift and go to that person. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You need to go to that person. And I will say to you, based on that verse, don't come back until you do. Because anything you do until you repent and seek forgiveness is a sham. It's a show. It's a mockery of the worship of our God. If you want to show how the gospel changes somebody, then do what Onesimus did. Go be honest. Go be humble. And go in hope. Our Father, Lord, these things are not easy for us. We don't want to be obedient to you in this area. We'd much rather talk about everybody else's disobedience, sins that we never really commit instead of things we're actually guilty of. But, Father, we are all guilty. We've all broken relationships through our sinfulness. Help us to go and seek forgiveness in Christ's name. And, God, I know that relationships are complicated and messy. Some people have sinned against those that they can't find or they can't contact or they've sinned against people that are already going on to be with you. Lord, I pray that you would do every single thing that they can to bring it before you and to leave it there and to be free from any guilt or free from any debt. But Lord, where people can make it right, help them not to feel right or to be right until they do. For us as a church, revival is going to look like relationships that are repaired in Jesus' name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hearts and minds are clear. You are dismissed.